Welcome to Square One, powered by FinTech TV. Over the last 10 years, we've seen an incredible amount of progress and innovation in harnessing large data sets. Social graphs, payments platforms, e-commerce, the world is becoming smarter, more efficient, and more is becoming possible because of our ability to derive insights from data. But innovation in the Earth's data has been nascent. And so today, I talked to one of the most revered product leaders in Silicon Valley about how might we capture the world's information and then the possibilities for it. Kevin Weil served as a product leader at Twitter, Instagram, and was the co-founder of Libra, Facebook's cryptocurrency. He recently moved to Planet as president of the organization. Kevin and I spent a bunch of time today talking about what's possible when you map and image the entire world in real time. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Kevin, I'm excited to chat um, about all things Planet today. You know, an incredible mission-driven company uh, that you joined to take to new heights. So we're going to spend a bunch of time there. Before we dive into Planet, I do want to take a step back and start with your background. Uh, you've been at the helm of some of the most interesting product organizations in the world, Twitter, Instagram, Libra. Let's start the discussion with more of your general product philosophy, right? From your time in these organizations, how do you think about building product? Well, I guess the, the first thing to say is there is no one way to build product. Different companies, different people do it differently. Uh, but I'll give you my view and I, where I think the fundamental job in product is it's two things. It's understanding the key customer problems to solve. And then it's working with a team to actually build the product that goes and solves them. And there's a lot of complexity hidden in each of those, but that's the job. It's figure out the problems to solve and then go solve them. Um, and when you understand the customer, you know, that, that means synthesizing feedback from everywhere, right? It, you, you start with the customers themselves because there's no better feedback than just talking to somebody who uses your product. By the way, it's usually incredibly humbling. You sit there and, you know, you think that you built this great product and then you watch someone try to use it. You realize how much, you know, complexity actually exists and it's all your fault. <laughs> so it's usually very humbling, um, but you start with the customer and it's, it's obviously not just, you know, the customer wants X, let's build X. You've got the Henry Ford saying, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So it, you got to ask why a few times to get at the underlying need. And you're also balancing your company mission, your view of the, the competition and how the market will evolve, major trends, uh, and, and more mundane things like tech debt. So there's a bunch in there. Um, and then the second part is just working with a team to build because it, it doesn't matter if you understand customer problems and build the best roadmap in the world if you can't then go and actually create it. Yeah. So as a PM, it's a bunch of communication, it's influencing, it's working through disagreement. Um, and you get to work with basically every function at the company from engineering, design, data science, to marketing, legal, comms, finance, BD, sales. You know, it's, it's ambiguous and it's ill-defined in some ways, but you can make a huge impact if you do it well. And that's what makes it so fun. And you had a, you had a front door seat um, or front row seat, I should say, when you worked with you know, Kevin Sistrom at, at Instagram. And, and you've mentioned before that Kevin is probably the singular best product thinker, you know, certainly you've ever worked with, but probably, you know, in the world, right? Uh, what is it that makes, you know, Kevin special and, and probably more interestingly and applicable for a lot of folks listening? What are the kinds of lessons you learned, you know, from him and, and on the Instagram team? you know, as applied to building product and, and building organizations? I learned so much working with Kevin Systrom and with Mike Krieger, by the way, the other Instagram co-founder who probably doesn't get enough credit. Mikey's yeah. incredible in his own right. Uh, and I, I'm really grateful that they took a chance on me and I'm proud of the work we did together. 
I, I think the core thing that Kevin Systrom does better than anybody else, it's the first thing I've talked about above. It's, it's understanding the key customer problems to solve and distilling all that complexity into something simple. So I'll, I'll give you an example from when we were building Instagram stories. Yeah. The high level problem for us was that people were sharing less on Instagram. But I mean, that's, that's not a customer problem. That's an Instagram problem. So what was the customer problem? We did a bunch of user research and it started to be clear. People were starting to feel like Instagram was a great place for their best moments, their highlights, right? The picture of you at dinner with your friends, the view from the top of the mountain after you hike. But it was less of a place or it was becoming less of a place for the silly, funny, random daily moments of people's lives. And if you put yourself in the shoes of a teenager, uh, you know, think about it. You, you post a picture and you get, you know, you get, maybe you get 100 likes on a lot of your pictures. And so when you go to post, you're like, okay, is this going to get 100 likes? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it won't. And if, if it doesn't and it doesn't do well, my friends will all see that. Eh, maybe I won't post. Or, you know, it also, it goes on your profile permanently. So you think, is this, and, and you know, you go to someone's Instagram profile to kind of get a sense for who they are and how they live. So you're like, is this how I want to represent myself? And the last thing was it, it, because all of the things you post go into somebody's feed, right? If you follow me, it shows up in your feed. Yep. I don't want to post too often because I feel like I'm kind of spamming you. So basically as the network grew and as people's follower cramps grew, the pressure with each individual post grew. And so you had these three pressure points public feedback, permanence, and this push model. And the key insight was, and all credit to, to Kevin, is what if you instead just flipped all of those? So instead of private, instead of public feedback, you have private feedback. Instead of permanence, you have ephemerality. And instead of a push model, you have a pull model. I have to go to your thing to, to see your, uh, see what you post. And if you think about that, that's basically what a Snapchat story was. And, and so, you know, they got there first, all credit to Snapchat, but we basically felt like we kind of re-derived it in thinking through the problem. Um, and, you know, Kevin led that effort and then led the charge on exactly how we built it in Instagram's existing product. It, probably the, the most interesting thing about that whole thing was we could tell it was working even as we were using the product internally, as we were, as we were beta-ing it internally we would come back from a weekend and we would suddenly know what our colleagues and friends were doing on a weekend in a way that we didn't before. Cause we saw the like daily moments of their lives. It was just this kind of magical charged experience. And then, you know, it's gone on to change how people use Instagram for the better. So I, I learned so much from Kevin through that experience and others. I like that. I like the, I like the flipping of, of kind of that example specifically. So if, if I take a step back and get kind of more conceptual, the way I think about, Instagram is of sorts, right? It's kind of indexing the world's imagery. Google is obviously indexing what's on the internet. And then Planet, your new company, is indexing what's on Earth. So let's start with what the mission of Planet is and give our listeners just a bit more perspective on, on the state of the company. Yeah, Planet is an amazing company. I'm about four or five months in, so still learning a ton. I think, yeah, I've probably learned more in the last four months than I've learned in any four-month period of my life, and I love it. It starts with our mission because we are an incredibly mission-driven place. Our mission is to use space to help life on Earth. You know, and it makes sense if you imagine you're in a spaceship 
you only get that one spaceship. So you better treat it well, right? If you destroy it, if it starts to break down, you got nowhere to go. And here we are, 8 billion humans on spaceship Earth hurtling through the solar system at like 67,000 miles an hour. We've only got one planet and we've got to do everything we can to preserve it. It means it means thinking about security and transparency between countries. It means thinking about sustainability and climate change. So where planet comes in is we image basically the entire landmass of the Earth every single day. And our goal is to make it visible and accessible and actionable. The planet is changing at an accelerating rate and only planet, the company, captures it every single day. So, you know, that, that data is ground truth for everything from relations between countries to agriculture and optimizing food production, measuring supply chains uh, and sustainability. It's, it's a new capability for humanity. Um, we do this, we, the way we get this data set is we build and manage the world's largest constellation of Earth observation satellites. So that's about 200 satellites that image the Earth every single day at a resolution of three or four meters per pixel. So if you imagine a square of about 10 feet on a side, that's what becomes one pixel in our image. And you know we can't identify people, we can't read your newspaper, but we can be, and we are, a foundational part of solving some of the most important problems that humanity faces. So, you know, my days are a mix of like physics and space and international relations and agronomy and machine learning and sustainability and kind of figuring out how we bring all that together in, in, in to build a great business. And we're doing that. We had over 100 million in revenue last year and we have a lot of opportunity ahead. So it's just, it's been a super exciting four or five months so far. And uh, I, I have so much to learn. I feel like I half know what I'm doing and half have no idea what I'm doing and I love it. So historically, there's a lot to unpack there. I want to focus on kind of this idea of real-time imaging, right? So historically, the way people think about satellites is these big, massive things that NASA launches, right? If we're lucky, maybe we get an image, you know, once every X number of days at, at Y photo quality. Uh, to get to real-time indexing and data and at the resolution that you were just mentioning, give us a sense of just what's going on in satellites, like how much cheaper, faster, smaller you know, are these satellites and how do you guys think about that when you're, when you're sending a constellation out there to space? Yeah, Planet's core innovation, the, the, the one that got the company started back 10 years ago when Will and Robbie got it going is, it's what we call agile aerospace. So if you think of other companies building satellites, it's what you said, it's, you know, they're the size of a tank, they cost hundreds of millions of dollars. As a result, you can only build one or two and you can't mess them up. And if you can't mess them up, that means you better use components that are that have been verified, you know, a hundred different times over the years, which means you're using older technology, and these things take years to develop. So by the time you launch, you're way behind the technology curve. When they were at NASA, Will and Robbie, the the two founders, were some of the first to like question why it has to be this way, and they said, you know, what if we can develop small satellites in an agile way? in a way that keeps up with Moore's law. And it's, it's kind of like when Google realized that instead of building on top of these like bigger and more expensive computers, they should build on top of a giant network of cheap computers that scale horizontally. And you scale it by adding lots of new cheap servers rather than a few crazy expensive ones. And you have to totally build differently to build for that model, but it was game changing. And I think the same is happening with us. So our satellites are literally the size of a shoebox. They weigh about four kilograms. 
They don't take years to make. We can make tens of them in a single week. And, you know, like the Instagram stories example, it's turning a lot of these existing assumptions on their head and creating an entirely new capability as a result. Uh, and, it, you know, it means operating differently. So we're vertically integrated. We build all of our own satellites in the basement of our building in San Francisco, which seems crazy. But uh, if you go see the lab one day, it'll blow your mind. Uh, we build our own ground stations. We've written all of our own mission control software that automates everything to do with operating a constellation. You know, if you have one or two satellites, you can do a lot of things manually. But if you have 200, you got to solve it in software. So it's just a completely different way of thinking about aerospace. Uh, and I'm, you know, I, I, I can take zero credit for it. It's all Will and Robbie and the team that has built this over the years. But it's, uh, I've, I've been really impressed coming in. So you have this real-time data set, right? Um, I think if we take a step back, Kevin, the big theme for most large corporations and, and governments today is digital transformation and sustainability, right? Some sort of intersection of that. Planet's unique and interesting from my perspective because it basically sits at the intersection of that with this unique data set that can then empower those same, you know, companies and governments, you know, large and small to tap into. I'm curious, you know, what are some of the most um, interesting examples of applications you know, that companies and governments can tap into when leveraging planet's data. And, it, and for context, if, if I kind of take a step back, I think it would have been very difficult, you know, when Google Maps, um, you know, launched and, and kind of went public via API for other developers, other companies, et cetera, to build on top of, for us to really ever imagine that it would be such a core utility to things like Uber, right, or so on and so forth. And so I feel like we're probably, you know, at this cusp type moment similarly, where you guys are surfacing this really interesting data set and all sorts of interesting applications now have the potential or the probability to build, be built on top. So maybe let's just expand on that a little bit. How are you thinking about, you know, some of those types of applications or, or use cases you guys are seeing? Yeah, we're, we're at the early stages of our journey as well. So yeah, if you, if you look today, um, we work with a lot of customers who have sophistication with geospatial imagery and with data uh, and, and, that's great. We we can I'll talk about some of those examples. I think the opportunity, though, is even bigger. It's to get to a place where you can distill some of the insights, whether it's through machine learning and computer vision or, or other things, and serve companies who don't want to deal in pixels, but absolutely have a need and can be benefited by understanding how the world is changing every single day. So that's we're on the path from, and, and as we simplify what we can do with our data, make it easier to consume, make it less focused on imagery, I think the opportunity is even bigger than, than where we are today. But if you just look at today, uh, and this is sort of an example of us walking along this, uh, this path, we work with some of the biggest names in agriculture, if we start there, um, the multi-billion dollar companies that are supporting millions of individual farmers, and we help them monitor over 800,000 fields for the farmers they serve, starting with just the core imagery. But it goes beyond that because our, our satellites can see in the infrared, unlike humans. So this isn't just about monitoring what we can see with our eyes. It goes beyond that. And we provide farmers and agricultural companies this, this uh, data that combines the visual spectrum and the infrared spectrum and creates this specific vegetative growth index. And we can pinpoint exactly across 800,000 fields at once where a crop might be going bad or a strip where a sprinkler has gone out. And we're also, we have an exciting new product that we've called Fusion, which goes beyond this. It fuses together our daily data with other data sets and uses machine learning to do things like remove clouds automatically 
And you end up with this daily data set that has 10 layers of metadata and is basically a, a data scientist stream. And, and so it's, it's a process of going from pixels through data, through uh, machine learning, and ultimately to things like time series uh, that I think will, uh, at each step, we're making our product simpler and easier to work with. Um, but, you know, we can go into a bunch of other examples. You know, we, we support sustainable supply chain management. Um, we work with the, the Peruvian government, for example, and other local organizations to provide insights into illegal mining operations. We've done global mapping with the Allen Coral Atlas uh, that identifies all shallow coral reefs around the world, which is a public-private partnership. You can see it at allencoralatlas.org. And I, I could go on. Maybe maybe one more I'll talk about real quick. Yeah. Uh, we are we we've engaged in a project called Carbon Mapper with uh, a number of of nonprofits and others. And we're building a new kind of satellite, uh, something called a hyperspectral satellite. So uh, it'll be able to see everything from the visible spectrum, 400 through 700 nanometers or so, all the way out to 2,500 nanometers with a bandwidth of about 500 nanometers. So you have 400 different spectral bands in the satellite, hence hyperspectral. And one of the cool things these satellites will be able to do is monitor carbon and methane emissions and leaks all over the world. So suddenly you have the ability to monitor for emissions, to pinpoint new emissions it's an important part of measuring and reversing climate change. And it's exciting to be able to do that from space. So one of the things I found interesting is Planet's decision to reveal the data set and make it so that folks can access it and, and build on top of it. Talk a little bit more about that thought process and what are the types of applications you know, that that might empower? Yeah, it, there is an increasing uh, sort of trend towards open source intelligence that Planet plays a real role in. You know, there have been examples recently in the news of people using planet data to identify missile silos in China, for example. Now, if you, if you think about governments, the US government is one example, they can build exquisite satellites. They're incredible at zooming in on something that you, that you know you wanna look at. Planet data is a must have complement to that though, because we help them see around corners. We help them find things they didn't know that they needed to look at. You know, it, it, there's a story not long ago, a journalist for BuzzFeed won a Pulitzer Prize using planet data. So what they did was they were, they were poking around in Baidu maps and they realized that uh, a handful of map tiles in Northwest China in the Xinjiang region were kind of fuzzed out. And they wondered why. We don't fuzz out anything. Planet's data is global and transparent to everyone. And so they went and looked at planet and lo and behold, they found that these were Uyghur forced labor camps. And not only did they find them, but you could go back in time with planets daily imagery and you could see exactly how and when they were constructed. Uh, the BuzzFeed won a Pulitzer for that work. We were proud to be you know, a small part of that. But just in general, I think transparency is an incredibly powerful tool in international relations. It's a tool for peace. And planet is ground truth for nations around the world in addition to everything that we're doing commercially with businesses. So when you were building Twitter or you're building Instagram, et cetera, the core asset is the social graph. That's, that's well-documented, you know, folks know, folks understand that and kind of these consumer social businesses, the social graph is kind of the, the, the core nucleus of the business. I'm curious if, if there's an earth graph here, right? The analogy might not be perfect of sorts, but is there, how do you guys think about the data set from, I, I see it almost at two levels, which is one is the direct applications for individual customers, 
you can mm -hmm. log in, you can kind of see this data set and you can say if you're an agro company, right? Or so on and so forth, you can kind of use this. But I see also some extrapolation or interrelation of use cases between organizations, right? Whether it's between groups of NGOs, groups of corporations in the same industry, in different industries. Talk to me a little bit more about A, if that makes sense, right? If that resonates, that might be completely wrong. But B, if it does resonate in some sense, you know, not just individual use cases or applications, but how might you think about, you know, the actual, the grouping applications are kind of like that level two, you know, application of this data set. Yeah, it's a really interesting idea. Um, and we do uh, talk internally, it, sort of in the same way that Google or organized the internet and made it accessible and useful. Maybe Planet can uh, organize Earth data and make it accessible and useful. Especially we have five years or so of this daily data, which means well over a thousand images of just about every place on earth one day at a time. So you think about the patterns of life that you can understand, you know, human development, roads, buildings, traffic, cargo, ship movement, mine output, forestation, deforestation, crop development, crop yields, you know, and you can get into amounts, changes year to year, and maybe even start predicting mid-year what the values are going to be based on historical understanding and the day-to-day -day development. So, you know, you think if you could categorize those, make them searchable, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really amazing idea. Don't get me wrong, we have a lot of work to do to get there, but it's, uh, it, it's cool to even think about. You know, my general perspective is it, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have even been possible to talk about before. It's possible to talk about now and things that are possible, if it's possible, it will happen and we can play a part in creating that future. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that the possibility is actually what gets me pretty excited when I started learning more and more about Planet. And, and where my mind kind of went is in two directions. One was kind of this layer two of how do you aggregate up, you know, beyond individual use cases. But then the other was actually just what are implications for industry, right? I mean, I imagine folks in insurance, risk, construction, et cetera, would be really interesting in this type of data layer to more dynamically price or more accurately price their offerings, right? So you know, as the product becomes more digestible by customers, um, it feels like it can spur a whole host of interesting consumer behavior as well. Might be early days, but have you seen any kind of applications of things like dynamic pricing or dynamic risk assessment, et cetera, in use cases today? Or that's that's more of a, you know, early tooling is being built, you know, but, but something potentially, you know, on, on horizons to come. Yeah, there are definitely examples. Uh, I, I think some of the, one of the most interesting things about uh, about the industries that you're talking about, insurance and construction and others, is they're, they're great examples of industries that need insights from the data, but they yeah. don't want to see the imagery and the pixels themselves. So I was talking about kind of our broader roadmap of going, uh, enabling higher level use cases that don't need to start with the, with the imagery itself. These are prime examples. And and we do see, we there are governments today, for example, that are using our data to, uh, to predict floodplains and understand how floodplains change year to year, obviously an insurance use case as well. Um, but in the government case, it's about making sure they can warn citizens who may be in the path of potential floods who don't think of themselves that way, but previous floods actually change the floodplain. Um, you know, we also, we have a lot of our customers today, like we were talking about, they're super sophisticated about geospatial data, defense and intelligence customers, civil agencies like NASA, but as we distill insights from the data, as we use machine learning, computer vision to extract features, it only becomes easier to use. It only becomes more accessible to businesses around the world. 
And as we do that, our ability to achieve our mission and to do good in the world through our customers grows with it. So it's a, it's a path that we're really excited about. So you came over, I want to go back a little bit to your background. I mean, you, you came over obviously after you know, a career really of building social products on the surface, this is a very different type of company, you know, very different type of product. I have to imagine there was some part of that consumer social DNA, you know, that, that you saw the planet team saw, et cetera, that, that thought, you know, this is interesting, right. For you to come over and lead product. Um, what, what am I, what am I missing about what's probably more similar here than seems to be the case? And what am I probably assuming that, you know, actually it's not, you know, as similar as might meet the eye. Tell us a little bit more just about how you kind of, how you think about that. Yeah, certainly on the face of it, uh, Planet and Instagram are pretty different places. So I think right. broadly you're correct. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I tend to be a pretty mission-driven person. You know, uh, I told you earlier, I like the feeling of half knowing what I'm doing and half having no idea what I'm doing. I love learning and I have never learned faster than I'm having to learn at Planet just to keep up with my colleagues. Now, I also, life is short and we're all lucky to be able to do different things. You know, I, I want to work at places that when I'm 80 years old and, you know, sitting with a grandkid on my knee that I can be proud of having contributed to. Uh, and that was a big part of Planet for me as well. But, you know, there are a couple similarities. There are places where it's uh, where my background is useful. One is the global context. Like we are really serving everyone on the world. We have a planetary data set and we want to serve everyone on the planet with it. That is very similar to the lens that we take at, at places like Instagram and Twitter. And so that's, that's helpful. I think the other big kind of theme is the need for simplicity. And one of the magical parts of Instagram has always been how simple it was. Even though under the hood, it's massively complex. It supports billions of users like 50 different languages, every corner of the app is driven by machine learning, but you never see it. Instagram is simple. We have a similar platform. There is a massive amount of complexity under the hood, starting with building and operating a constellation of about 200 satellites, but all the way through uh, harmonizing that data and making it simple for people to consume. We have to simplify it and we have to continue simplifying it. That's how we expand. So, you know, those kinds of lessons and the need to continually refine and remove features to keep things simple, it definitely translates, even if it expresses itself in a different way. Yeah, I, I like that framing a lot because I think the best products are actually the ones that from a consumer facing perspective are incredibly simple, right? Let's look at Uber, right? You push a button, a car comes and obviously under the hood are incredibly, incredibly sophisticated, sophisticated to run. There, There is a draw uh, from my perspective outside in that is easy to see and you you touched on it a bit, but it's this idea of of a strong sense of mission and purpose, you know, between the companies, right? Um, there's, I have, I have a firm belief, especially in a, you know, candidate led market like we're in today that companies that actually have very strong senses of mission or, or pointed views on how the world should work actually have a significantly easier time attracting and retaining talent, right? Versus every, you know, you know, other or generic startup that's that's getting funded right now. Talk a little bit more just about the idea of having a pointed mission, you know, and what that type of foundation enables when building a business. And maybe you can take us through, you know, from the perspective, of course, you know, being at Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, you know, but also at a, at a place like Planet. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on mission. Um, like I said, we all are lucky to have multiple opportunities. And, and so the fact that people can come to work every day 
really feeling their impact on something that is as important in Planet's case as preserving spaceship Earth, making the world more sustainable, uh, helping to mitigate climate change. These are this is a big deal. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that ends up being so important is these journeys are hard. I mean, uh, I just joined Planet. They've been going for 10 years. Uh, and these journeys are all roller coasters, even the ones that look from the outside like total successes, um, like, you know, Twitter and Instagram have been. And, you know, hopefully Planet, as we go forward, will feel the same way. But day to day, I mean, it's a job. Things are hard. And you have setbacks and it's natural to start wondering, you know, you experience a setback, maybe I should find an easier job somewhere else. Maybe this, maybe this is going to be tough. But if you're there for the mission and you experience a setback, you know, you kind of go, okay, that, that was hard, but are we still on the path to achieve our mission? Okay. You know, we are, we can still do what we set out to do. All right, back at it. Let's go figure this out. You know, it, it, it keeps you focused through the ups and downs and the ups and downs are inevitable. So like the mission is what kind of you, you pick yourself up, you get back to work because you're working on something bigger than yourself. It helps you through hard times. And it's so important because there are always hard times. You know, Kevin, I think that's such an important message for founders and operators to hear. I, I have a little, you know, over a hundred folks on my team and they're, you're exactly right. I mean, there's so many days where you know, you, uh, you feel so topsy-turvy, right? The, mm -hmm. In the morning, you feel like the company's breaking. In the afternoon, you feel like you're going to take over the world. Absolutely. And that saw and that cycle is just so normal when you're, when you're running a business that I think if you don't have a sense of mission or a sense of purpose, right, or, or being able to kind of separate, you know, the forest from the trees, um, it, it, becomes really, it becomes really hard to run these types of businesses. There's something, um, there's something interesting about the way you guys are going public, and, and we won't go a ton into that because I'm, I'm sure there are limits around that, but um, there is something interesting about the way you guys are going public, you know, via your SPAC, which is, you know, you're a B corporation and you're going to be a PBC uh, when you're public. I want you to talk a little bit more about that, you know, explain what that is, the implications of, of what that are. It ties obviously into what we were just talking about mission, but from my recollection, I'm, I might be wrong on this, but from my recollection, I think you guys are going to be, you're definitely the first B corporation to leverage a SPAC um, to, to go public. So maybe explain a little bit more about what that is and, and how that type of vehicle or construct allows you guys to continue to harness, um, harness your mission. Yeah, you know, by the way, you you reminded me of something uh, talking about the mission. I think it's one necessary uh, component. The other thing that you reminded me of, um, you know, I don't I, my my office right now is this guest room that I'm in in my house. But uh, in normal times, I had uh, uh, a, a a sort of a photo or a picture of um, it says good work consistently over a period of time. And um, I, I think it was Guy Rosen from Facebook who originally uh, had this and put it together. But I, those are the two things for me. It's knowing where you're going. It's the mission and staying focused on something way bigger than yourself. And then it's putting your head down and just doing great work, getting 1% better every single day. And the combination of those two produces magic. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, so getting back to the the SPAC and the, the B Corp, yeah, it, it's it's really cool. It, it, it's it's such a core part of Will and Robbie's original vision, and we are very proud to be going public as uh, as a B Corp. You know, and the idea of a B Corp is you're formally enshrining that the company isn't purely there to optimize shareholder value. It's obviously about optimizing. Like we, that is one of the things that we absolutely 
want and need to do, but it's also about achieving a broader purpose. So uh, you you put together a statement that is actually the thing that you are are that is your purpose. And ours at Planet is to accelerate humanity toward a more sustainable, secure, and prosperous world by illuminating environmental and social change. I think you can see we were just talking about mission. This statement is incredibly mission aligned. Um, you know, there, there are only a handful of B Corps at scale today. I think we're going to see them more and more. And we're proud to be there, to be one of them. And I'm just, you know, as you can tell, I'm beyond excited for the future. I think we are going to see them more and more, especially as our generation, um, you know, feels um, more that that business impact mission, et cetera, should be uh, overlapping elements as opposed to mutually exclusive elements. Kevin, this is this is great. It was um, super interesting to hear your perspective on on how the world's you know, topography data can be such a valuable asset. I'm really interested to see you know all the emerging applications that spring about because of Planet. So you know, thanks again for the time, and we we really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.